0: Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Stay tuned to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the weekly podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary as we sit down with Daniel Jarsfer as we discuss Prison Ministry, Part 2. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. This is our second podcast this week. We're trying to catch up from some lost time in the last few weeks where we had some cancellations and some technical difficulties that resulted in missing a few broadcasts. We have since rescheduled those, so those will be coming up in the near future. But today I do have the pleasure of talking with Daniel Jarstifer. He is... um, going to be on to talk about more of what we talked about just the other day, in fact, uh, more discussions about prison ministry. Um, it's sort of a theme this week. We've been talking about this subject. We had the pleasure of talking with Mark Casson from Metanoia Ministries just the other day, if you remember, and um, we had a great conversation about their ministry and their work in the prisons and what they do with the inmates and help them transition into um, the world outside of uh, the prison walls. So we're going to talk with um, uh, Daniel Jarstifer here in a few seconds about this particular ministry, not only from that perspective, but also from the perspective of what it's like for a local church to be involved in this kind of ministry. So there's different ways of attacking this this um, particular ministerial outreach, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Daniel Jarstifer is a teaching elder at, um, at Dickinson First Presbyterian Church, and that's in the great state of Virginia. And he's a graduate of Greenville Seminary and is also on the board of the seminary. So, Daniel, it's great to have you on the program today and uh, look forward to our conversation. Well, it's good to be here. Look forward to uh, interacting with you. Great. Uh, Daniel, off air, we talked briefly about um, the fact that your local church is involved in, in prison ministry life. Uh, as you know, we talked with Mark Casson uh, from Metanoia uh, the other day, and we talked more about maybe a formal aspect of, the, uh, of what Metanoia does. How does what you do in the local church and your outreach differ maybe in a sense from what Metanoia does, or what maybe how are they similar? Well, I think
1: there's, there's two ways a local church could be involved um, one would be some of what Mark talked about. We have several members of our congregation are uh, what we call instructors. We have students assigned through Metanoia Ministries, and that's a tremendous way. My wife is, is an instructor or grader and has uh, had opportunities to interact with a number of different students in the last several years that she's been doing that. But many churches are located near a jail or a regional jail. Sometimes it's a, a county jail where people are held briefly. And I think too often those, those sorts of areas are overlooked. And over the years I've noticed a number of uh, wonderful testimonies, how God providentially intervened in, in his sovereignty, brought a minister or a layman uh, into contact with someone in a jail for a night or two or for a few weeks. We have a unique opportunity where I'm located that we have the Southwest Re- Regional Jail, Southwest Virginia, I should say, Regional Jail, and um, there's a mix of, of people there. There's some there are being held on their way to prison or on their way coming out of the prison system, but there's also people awaiting, awaiting a trial <laughs> that didn't post bond. And so we'll have people up there for six months, a year, two years, mm-hmm. and we have a group of men from our congregation and, and two other PCA churches in the area that go in on Thursday evenings into the pods where the men and women are kept. And we, we have really no control over who, who they see, but to the doors open to go and to meet with people, and those that are interested will come out. And it's been a really blessed ministry. We've... I keep hearing stories uh, from the men that are going of uh, the appointments that the Lord has arranged. It's interesting how sometimes that works out, but it's it's easily done. Um, Most uh, jails will have a form, an application process that you have to engage in. Uh, to be approved, to go in, and once you're approved, then you can continue to go. For pastors, a pastor can present credentials and get uh, an open door pretty much to come at any time, and I'd encourage pastors to do that because mm. um, you never know when uh, somebody would call, and I'd, I'd like to see a minister, I want to see a minister, and, and uh, they can contact those they know of, and if you're credentialed uh, through them, you can get in and, and meet someone who's looking for help. He-
0: yeah, that's great. And, uh, and you, you, you kind of um, answered two questions there at, at once. Uh, I was going to ask about, you know, how would a local church even go about this process? But let me back up even before that, and maybe a question I should have asked up front, and and, and it maybe is an obvious question, um, but um, or even an obvious answer to the question, but why should we be concerned about these people in prisons or jails in the first place?
1: Well, it's a, a captive population, mm-hmm. and there are individuals that are uh, in a crisis, some very much aware of the crisis they're in, others maybe uh, it's more of a pattern for their life, but uh, it's, it's a time when men and women are thinking. Uh, I have a nephew who's uh, incarcerated at this time and probably been for a long time, and that's one of the things my sister's relating to me is that uh, it's a cause for thoughtfulness. And in our day, people are awful busy. There's a lot of ways to amuse yourself and and push down or uh, suppress, as Paul writes in Romans, suppress uh, those things that are important. And Mm. you find that people, when they're in jail on the way to prison, you know, with a lengthy sentence, they're really thinking about what they've done with their life. They're taking stock. Um, Some will put up a rough. Exterior, some could be, you know, pretty rough and hard, Um, and yet below that you've got a human being in in, in need. And uh, for churches to be involved, uh, we trust the Lord to open the door at such times that uh, a man even like Mark Casson can be captured and brought into the kingdom. And we're not to know when those doors are going to be open. We're just to be available. The Lord
0: arranges it, and uh, we've been sent. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it, it, I'm sorry to interrupt. It was great, you know, as you mentioned Mark Casson in his testimony, I mean, if it wasn't for those providential means and, and the way things were orchestrated, um, he wouldn't have, as best we can understand it anyway, wouldn't have come to Christ maybe at least at that point in his life. But yet now looking backwards into it, we see how the Lord's used that in his life to help him now work with others who are in similar situations in their own lives. And in in some sense, we've all... We've all been in prison. Um, we just maybe n- didn't have the bars and the brick walls um, trapping us in, but we were still in prison nonetheless. And um, someone had to take an interest in us um, and bring us to faith, share the gospel. And, and, and I think it, when you ask a question, you know, why should we be concerned about these people? I think, as you said, ultimately, um, these are people deep down uh, outside of the rough exterior that they put up and and I've met some of these types of people um, they're, they, they 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 think and they have emotions and feelings and they're human and um, now do you find uh, have when you're doing this work do you find that uh, how is how are you received uh, maybe initially and then as time goes on
1: well you yeah. You'll have those who come out because, uh, you know, when they hear that, usually the way it's put, oh, they're having church. That's that's usually how it's uh, characterized in our region. And there are those that come out of curiosity. There are those who come to, to be a nuisance and to heckle. I mean, it happens. Um, but there are those who have a, a, a foundation in the church, who probably grew up in the church or they had grandparents that took them to a church as a child. And so they have some basis in as I said earlier, they're thinking and reflecting. Instead of here this opportunity, they'll come out, and there are those who come with uh, real questions and interest. Um, one of the things that uh, I think is very important for Reformed churches is to recognize that um, it's not to say that we're better than other denominations, but we do have and hold to what I would say is a, a full-orbed the biblical gospel and and comprehensive treatment of the doctrines of Scripture. And that's one of the things that we've had a tremendous opportunity to interact with people who have some foundation. And in a lot of cases, they've heard preaching that's fairly typical, uh, somewhat packaged, very truncated. And to have men and women come in and be teaching from the Scriptures, more than just certain pat answers to things, and really begin to open their eyes to wow, Scripture has a lot to say about life and my life and where I'm at and, and, and where I should be going. And um, in a certain sense, there's, there's a conflict of uh, messages in uh, prison or jail ministry. Um, I relate it to our years of my life and I lived in New England, and we had a, a large megawatt Radio station that we would listen to. It was the only Christian program we get, and you could, you know, you sit there and listen over three hours, and you'd hear two or three different ministries talking all in opposition to each other. Mm. I think that happens a lot of times in jail and prison ministry as well. So um, I don't want to don't want to characterize to be that we're in competition with others. We link arms where we can agree, but I think we have an opportunity to help men and women to to hear. Um, what we would hold to be the Reformed truths and Westminster Confession uh, organized type of doctrine, and, and many have never heard of it. It's robust. It'll stand up to where they're at. It gives them answers, uh, a place to put their feet. So I think it's a tra- tremendous opportunity for Reformed churches.
0: Yeah, that's well said, and I'm glad you said that. I think it's interesting um, that how you characterize th- these this, this somewhat maybe unspoken mentality that some have in these ministerial outreaches that there's this, you know, pitting one another against one another. And instead of working together, as you said, where we can agree, uh, we work together. And, well, where we can not agree, we just have to respectfully disagree. But I I, I think that's important to realize because there are there's there's more than just metanoia out there um, I think Chuck Colson's group, um, does work in, in, in prisons and jails as well. Um, and if I, if memory serves me, um, they were involved in, I think the angel tree ministry is, is, does that sound, sound for, and I was involved in that when I was, uh, before I came to the reformed faith, when I was for lack of a better term, a simple evangelical <laughs> for lack of a better term, I know that's probably not the best way to describe it, but um, but I worked with that and was able to go to people's homes who had loved ones in prisons and, um, share Christ with them and talk with them and, and, and do things at that particular season of the year for the children and whatnot of these inmates. And I know that meant a lot to them, sometimes driving even hours away from where I live just to, because a lot of them lived in rural areas and whatnot. So it was, um, it was a good opportunity, and it and again, it's where we could agree, we agreed, and you know where we disagree, we just move on. Mm-hmm. Now, now one of the things that I was was struck by when I was talking with Mark, and I and I would really like your input on this. Um, there's there's sometimes this idea where you, you go into a jail or, or any environment, and a person makes a profession of faith and they come to Christ, um, at least apparently, and um, it, you kind of like these. The, this jailhouse conversion mentality where Mark was talking about, um, Mark, that's Mark Casson at Metanoia for those who are listening to the program. Um, he was talking about how the, the emphasis and the focus is really on, uh, is on that, but is also on the idea of discipleship where it takes it past the, the point of conversion, but it moves it down the road. Uh, how would you, how do you answer that? How do you speak to that?
1: Well, that's where, you know, uh, a consistent prison ministry or jail ministry with a a church that's committed, it can really make a difference because you build relationships. It's a little bit difficult in a a jail where you go into different pods each time you go and and there's a a turnover that occurs. But if there's a consistency by a church to be involved, you're going to keep interacting with a certain group of people again and again. You're going to see
2: them, Mm -hmm.
1: and you do build relationships. We've had a couple of occasions where, um, men have been released, and there's no one there to pick them up.
2: Mm. Providentially,
1: one of our men who was going into the jail happened upon them going out of town and gave them a ride. And that speaks volumes um, to a, a man who's you know suddenly cast back into the world and in many respects has no friends, their family's alienated with him. And here's a guy that he's maybe felt like this guy, well, he came because he had to come. And now he's saying, hey, jump in, let me give you a ride, let me buy you lunch. Um, Where are you going? And then you've got an hour, hour and a half in in some cases of taking them to their home and really able to reinforce one-on-one what's been said over time. And that's uh, where a church really can be involved. I am certain that if churches would go to a, a facility like that near them, if they have one, and say, hey, we're available, we've got a group of people, that are standing by, if you'll let us know when people are being released and uh, there's nobody to pick them up, we will try to place people there. Mm. It's a tremendous opportunity to not only communicate with word, but with deed. And if I can, Bill, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. Sure, sure. Um, I was thinking you were talking about angel tree. I've been involved with in that in a couple different churches I've been in in the past. And, you know, there's a whole host of other people that are, in some sense, Incarcerated when a family member's incarcerated, there's, mm. there's, they're impacted. Their lives are altered. They're, there's a significant impact. And as like you and I've gone to families at uh, the Christmas time and carried packages, and often found grandparents, um, sometimes with both mother and father of the children incarcerated. And here they are, raising another generation with tremendous burdens, limited income, feeling overwhelmed wanting to do well by the children. And there's a great open door for churches to come alongside. And mm. uh, a little investigation locally will probably open the door to find those people if, if you're unable. Um, through Metanoia, we can connect with some, but, uh, you know, certainly Chuck Colson's Prison uh, Fellowship, there's uh, a network, and you can find out who these people are. And uh, if churches are participating in the Angel Tree, and they will not, I want to put it this way, if they will put it positive, if they will engage with those people and follow on afterwards, there's a great deal of opportunity for ministry. A lot of times, grandparents are Christians, and they're crying out for help, and in many cases, the churches and the families, everybody's done with them, and they're feeling very much alone, and we really can come alongside and demonstrate the love and mercy of Christ.
0: Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna mention that the one of the, and I don't want to say barriers to this kind of ministry or this kind of work is certainly the the stigma, or the or the attitudes of family and friends that uh, this person's in prison and so you know they've been written off in a sense. Um, I don't want to say it's a barrier, but but in some sense it is a difficulty. And um, how do you suggest, maybe as a pastor or an elder? in the church, how, how do you suggest, uh, people overcoming some of these, um, these obvious uh, mentalities that you're here, you come in and, and there's a certain level of skepticism. We don't really know who you are. Why are you here? Um, you know, that kind of thing. And while they need help and maybe they don't know how to articulate it necessarily that way, there is that barrier that sort of is there between two strangers.
1: Right. Well, I think that's, again,
0: where there's the consistency on the part of those ministering, and you
1: keep your word. Um, You have to be cautious not to promise what you can't deliver, because oftentimes these families will have great needs, and they'll want a lot of things, and sometimes they'll want to make demands, and um, we need to keep the focus on the spiritual and emotional Mm. support. But a a ministry of individuals, uh, you know, under the oversight of deacons that are consistent to follow through and be there over the long haul uh, will bear tremendous fruit. Um, And it will break down those barriers that these people say, you know what, these people really care. Um, I'm amazed, you know, the times I've been involved with angel tree and we've had the families come and we've thrown a party in that situation. They come in, they're just amazed that, We'd open our doors, our arms, our church building, and and give to them. You know, in the other yeah, thing is, you go if you go to the homes, you know, they're just amazed. So, it's it's not as difficult as I think sometimes people want to make it. Um, more often than not, we as the people in the church um, have greater barriers to overcome than those
0: that we're going to. Yeah, that
1: we know Jesus would have us to go.
0: Yeah, that's well said, and I think it's because we, we, I think in some sense, people in the church, that would include myself, um, we already have these preconceived ideas, and we've already expected a certain reaction or a certain response before it's even occurred, and so it hinders us from even making those attempts. And, and doing what you just said, you know, being consistent, being faithful, being a good listener, um some of us probably would do well to learn to listen to those to people in those situations more than try to talk, talk to them about and give them great advice. Certainly, we're going to do that. But oftentimes, they're looking for people that are going to be there and listen to their struggles and concerns and then look for those openings and opportunities to give them the truth and show them that there is hope. And it's not a hopeless situation. Um, and that's um, often a big challenge. And, and I think you're right. I think people in the church probably suffer from that struggle more than maybe those who are living in the struggle uh, if, as it were um, when you deal with uh, someone uh, maybe who's been incarcerated even someone who's been incarcerated for a long time um, they adopt their the culture of the of being incarcerated they're they're there for a great deal uh, number of years um, they, they've been told to do everything, go where they're told to go, do what they they're told to do, eat when they're told to eat. Um, they sort of adopt that that institutionalized lifestyle, and then they come to that point. Um, they they've come to Christ and they've they've grown in prison, and then they they're released, and they and they enter the uh, society again. How does how do you see the church? Uh, involvement at that point? Because it's, it's a very st- sticky situ- uh, time for for that inmate who's coming into the world.
1: It's an intimidating time for the one being released, as well as for a church who's welcoming. Yeah. Um, it's very, well, there's a lot of the unknown. I think where when you have the middle leg of our ministry with in-prison mentoring where a relationship developed and that individual there can be then be there when they come out there's already a matter of trust and that individual mm-hmm. can help a church body also to trust and welcome to receive because it's awkward all the way around there's a lot of churches, they're not ready to receive someone who say is a sex offender and they're being released into the community and you say you know, we want to support this man and help him get on his feet you know, a lot of churches are going recoil and uh, we understand that but as the church we can't to say, well, we can't do this ministry, we'll let someone else do it. We're called by Christ to minister. And so there needs to be a lot of of wisdom and discernment. Um, One of the things that we seek to do in Metanoia Ministries is to help churches working with someone who's about to be released to build a release plan and uh, have uh, thought through the unique complications of each individual and then have structures in place. They need structures. You were just mentioning, they're used to very strict structure,
2: mm-hmm. and now
1: suddenly there's none. And the tendency is to go back to what they knew before and try to find old friends, and in most cases, that's the worst thing that can be done. And so we need to be there to help with new structures and friendships, accountability. I mean, these men are used to, women are used to accountability. They still need some accountability to help to gradually acclimate and adjust and again that's the one of the benefits of uh, the church having uh, a prison ministry like metanoia and uh, these things have been thraught, thought through um we have you know for example markasson and our president dean marshall they've been through it and uh, we can help churches craft a relief plan because relief plan i mean because it's necessary and there will be times when churches will say, you know, that's that's beyond our comfort zone. We can't do that. We know we should, but we're not there yet. And I think a, a group of elders they need to recognize where their congregation's at, and perhaps it's someone else's to help them. But they shouldn't just say we're never going to go there. Church needs to work to get to that point.
0: Sure, and stretch their comfort zones a little bit in these areas. Um, how important is it for? Um, this work, and, and especially for the inmate who's being released, to get plugged into a local church quickly?
1: Oh, it's, it's tremendous. Uh, I would say it's essential to their long-term success. Um, I'm sure Mark referred to statistics of what's called recidivism, You know, the, the, the number of people that go back into the prison system once they've been out. Uh, without that Mm. structure and support and encouragement, accountability, all of that. um, uh, I'm I'm quoting off the top of my head. I've heard the actual statistics. It's it's 80-something percent in the back end. But with uh, the structure, then it drops way down. Um, I think it's in the teens, 17, 19. Um, uh, Don't quote me. I I know I'm being heard by others, but I'm remembering in general. But the point is it makes a huge difference. And yeah. I think we relate to that, Bill, because if you think about children that grow up with very little parental involvement, they have a hard time. They sure. Start, there's no direction. There's no accountability, and, and they tend to end up in trouble, whereas parents that are actively engaged, um, those children do much better. And it's, it's very much like a child for a man or a woman being released when they've been told to do everything, just like a little child would be, and now they're, you know, moving in percent into, let I say, the teen years, and there's a relax, and, and in many cases, there's just nothing other than parole, the, the parole uh, officer.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I, and, I, and I was just thinking as you were talking about how, you know, even for those of us who have never been incarcerated, have never been in jail, have never been in that situation in their own lives. Um, but yet, uh, maybe grew up in a home that wasn't a godly home or wasn't a Christian home even, and, and they came to Christ as an adult. Um, what happened? Well, you, you you got plugged into a local church. You began to grow. You began to see and understand that the, what the what the scriptures teach and, and and what the Lord would have you do and what and how to best serve Him and and I, I guess that app that applies to to every single person who who comes to christ and expects to grow and and walk in his ways um as much for the inmate as anybody else um and maybe even the impetus is even more so for a person who's who's generally demonstrated um or or has been generally in in a life that's been highly regimented for many years and um plus has the 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 this stigma or that, that public persona, that appearance, from uh, that attitude from people on the outside where they're just not going to cut them any slack, where that's the greatest part about the gospel is is you get a second chance, if you will. Um, you know, the Lord forgives us, and, he's, and he washes that sin away as far as the east is from the west. And that includes those guys in prison who, who come to Christ and genuinely are converted and, and look to him in faith. And what they've done, they've done, and the consequences are still the consequences. But God has removed that sin. He has forgiven them, and in Christ, they are, they are new creatures. And what better place for them to grow in that faith than in the church where they can be ministered to by, by elders and deacons as well as members of the church? And um, uh, I can't think of a better place for them to be. Uh, real quick—I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I was just to say, one of the things that uh, I think most of us can relate to, tying into what you just said, those people that we see that come to Christ and grow and thrive— Typically, you'll find someone mentoring them. You know, there's someone that's taking them and leading them, discipling them, and uh, providing a, a structure and a, and a direction, and those mm. are the ones to thrive. And that's true whether you've ever been incarcerated or not. I thought about another thing too, Bill, that I think churches could really be helpful uh, for Christian businessmen. Um, not every Christian businessman can do that depended on his uh, what his. Uh, Job is what his business is, but there are many who are in a position to say, you know what, we have two, three, four positions uh, that be perfectly suited to someone who's been released and needs a job, and needs Mm -hmm. structure, needs help, because it's very difficult for a man with uh, or a woman with a felony mark against them to find employment, and you know we want them to they'll be contributing to society and paying their way, as Paul writes to the Thessalonians. You'll get a job and pay your bills and, and have something to give to the poor. And if no one ever gives them a job, how can they possibly do that? And so, you know, that's another way that the church can help. And I'm thinking of how deacons should kind of have a an inventory, knowing what the different men in their church do, um, go and talk to them, say, so, do you have a position or two? Well, you know, we could uh, bring a... Uh, a released prisoner, and that you can employ them and help them get on their feet. I think that that's something that's often overlooked, and I've heard tremendous stories of where that has worked uh, from such ministries like Crown Financial Ministries, uh, where there have been such men that are willing to step
0: in. Yeah, that's a great idea, and I, I guess I have I, I never really thought of it that way, but you know, one of those difficulties that the, these men who come out of prison face almost immediately Um, is this, you know, how am I going to support myself? How am I going to find gainful employment? And they already have, as it were, one strike against them because most applications I've been, I was in the business world for 20 years and every application asked that question. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? Um, and you know, if you lie and they find out you're fired and if you don't lie, well, you know where that usually ends up. So unfortunately it's, it's the world we live in. And, um, and I think that's a great point, and and Christians need to be looking out for each other in that way, you know, with good business sense and all that to be considered. But that's a great, great point, great suggestion. Uh, real quick, we're short on time. I just wanted to ask you if you were to, if you had the opportunity um, tomorrow to speak to a thousand churches on this subject, what would you tell them?
1: I would encourage the diaconate to get informed. Um, contact Metanoia, um, get online, read. There's resources available uh, from other agencies as well, but get informed, be aware of what's available in your area of ministry opportunities, and see this as a a very important area of mercy ministry. Dr. Mm -hmm. Harry Reeder has provided some good resources as part of the Embers of Flame uh, curriculum, and um, there's some audio resources about beginning a mercy ministry, and it's often a missing component a lot of our reformed Presbyterian churches, and I think probably most of us are sitting out here going, you know, we know we should, we should be doing this. So I would say to the diaconate, get involved. I would say to people that are in the pew, here's a tremendous opportunity where you can actively be involved in discipleship of a group of people that are almost impossible to reach, but yet through prison ministry like Metanoia. You can actively be engaged in discipling a brother or sister in Christ who's behind bars and uh, and be growing even as you do that. And then also pray for such ministries. Uh, There's a lot of spiritual warfare in our prisons. Pray for such ministries. Pray for Christian prisoners. There's a lot of Christian prisoners, more than I think most people are aware of, and they face far more opposition uh, from the kingdom of darkness than uh, we do in our Our so-called typical Hmm.
2: lives—they
1: need our prayer support, and that the Lord would use them to be salt and light. The uh, the kingdom of darkness through false religion is actively recruiting people, and we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated, that they would be bold witnesses to be salt and light in a very dark place.
0: Yeah, and that's well said, and 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 especially your last point about prayer and and these men who are who are our brothers and sisters, and they uh, they are in a situation where they're trying to walk with the Lord and, and stand up for what's true. And um, the opposition, um, uh, we think there's opposition out here. Um, I mean, we go home at the end of the day and, uh, you know, we go to a job and we have a difficult day and we, we wouldn't lie for our boss. We wouldn't do this. We wouldn't do that because it would cut cross grain with our Christian values. But at the end of the day, we punch out, we go home and we have our wife there and we have a nice dinner and, and the day's over. Um, these men can't escape it. It's a 24 hour day siege against what they believe and, um, and against the way they, they, they're trying to live. And so I think your last point is, well, so when you pray for these men, pray for these ladies who are, who are incarcerated that uh, strive to, to do what the Lord would have them do and, um, and then prayerfully consider being involved in this work as well. Daniel, I've appreciated the talk. I, I know I confess openly that it's not a subject I've given a lot of thought to. Um, I, I've known a few men who, uh, th- that I went to church with. They were my brothers. We, we talked about their situation, and um, but I've really never given it a lot of thought and, uh, and, and frankly a lot of prayer. Um, so if anything, these last couple conversations with both Mark and yourself, have, uh, have encouraged me, uh, as a Christian to look at the situation more seriously and to pray about it more seriously and to, uh, not just, uh, act as though that's a different planet or a different world from where I live. It's not, uh, these are, these are human beings made in the image of God. they they live in my backyard. Um, and they need the gospel as much as I did, uh, before I came to Christ. So, um, I've appreciated your words and your time, and I think you've, you've offered some very helpful um, information and, and, and thoughts uh, along the way.
2: Well, thank you for uh,
0: having me on today, Bill, and uh, I enjoyed the time speaking with you. Great, thank you. We've been talking with Daniel Jarsfer about prison ministries in general. Um, We've touched on some subjects uh, formally, like Metanoia Ministries, which we just discussed uh, last Tuesday, or just this past Tuesday. Uh, But also we talked about the local church and how the local church can can get involved. And I think um, our guests today would, would have elders, sessions, prayerfully consider their opportunities that the Lord has given you by virtue of the fact that your church is planted in that very town or city you are in. Uh, How can you minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to these men and women who are incarcerated, who have difficulties, and even minister to their families as we've discussed, and show them the love of Christ and show them the good news, because this world for them is a hopeless place and they need men and women who love the Lord to come alongside, help them, pray for them, pray with them, be faithful share the truth, and um, show them that there is hope in this world. And um, many of these people struggle with difficulties we can't possibly understand. So I think my guest today and and, and his plea would be that you, you seriously consider these things and look at them with an honest look, an honest eye towards those who are hurting and need Jesus Christ uh, as much as anybody else. So that would pretty much conclude today's discussion. It's been a long week for me. It's been two podcasts, but um, I, I trust that they've been beneficial to those who listen to those. If you have any comments or questions about this program, you can simply write me at hope at GPTS, that's for Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary.edu. As usual, you can go to our website. Our website is simply GPTS. We're on the web 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Plenty of resources there available. If you have men in the church who are thinking about seminary or seminary education or elders in the church that want to strengthen their uh, theological education, go to the website. There's plenty of resources and information there available. You can contact any member of the staff here at the seminary to answer any questions you may have. So until Monday, that's in a few days, we'll be sitting down talking with Nick, Nick Batsik, who's also a graduate of the seminary on this whole idea of church planning. What is it? What are some of the difficulties in that area? What are some of the blessings and some of the great stories that I'm sure Nick will have as we sit down with him to talk about that subject. So until then, we thank everybody for listening to this particular edition. And God bless.